Well, welcome. Uh, those of you who are new today, I, I'm, my name's Rob. I'm the, the lead pastor here, and I'm dressed in my uh, finest attire, as you can see. Uh, I, I think I ironed it this morning. No, I didn't. I just pressed it because it was humid. So it's probably neater than normally looks. But, you, you know, it's kind of a, a difficult to explain this. Uh, when you're coming from where I come from, uh, it would be like this for you. Uh, it would be like you show up in your Boston Red Sox uh, attire, and somebody says to you, what is that? Is that football? Uh, and you look at them like, really? I mean, I've got my Patriot stuff on, and you say, uh, is that like, uh, you know, soccer? And you're like... So, well, you see, for me, this is like, a, this is our South African uh, heritage. You'll see all of us out here with our great uh, South African springbok. You know that American, like your symbol or our symbol, uh, now that I'm an American, uh, is the eagle. Uh, and uh, if you're from South Africa, it's a springbok. And, and if you're from New Zealand, it's a little kiwi. And if you, is anybody from France? Thankfully not, because they is the rooster. Oh, I'm sorry, you guys. Bless the French and the rooster. Yep. Oh, you guys shouldn't be laughing so much. I asked another person from Brazil what their symbol was, and they said, I, well, I don't know. I think it's a parrot or something. They weren't really sure. They would consult with somebody. So, you know, okay, so we know what we... Does Puerto Rico have a separate one, or you part of... You just, like, embrace the eagle? You, you don't know. You're not sure. No, okay, well, whatever. The frog. Puerto Rico's a frog? Oh, okay. Go frog. Woo! <laughs> we, we used to say that about the French. I don't know what you guys have got, got going there. But, you know, they, they, there's something about, um, it, it's like the hymns that we sung. Just as Brian said, you know, you could say, man, I just like really connect with God through hymns. Uh, or you can just like totally tune out and say, I, I just disconnect with God through hymns because... Uh, that's just not my thing. But if you sort of have a, a, a larger viewpoint, you would say, you know, I want to be able to connect with God, whether it be a hymn or whether it be a contemporary song or uh, whether it be a song sung in another language. Uh, uh, what we're trying to ask ourselves is, you know, uh, how do we connect? How do we relate? Who are we? What's our identity? Uh, and so uh, that's what we're doing today. We just uh, took a day and we said, let's celebrate our heritage. And uh, some of you didn't get the memo to dress up. Uh, and uh, we're going to have a potluck afterwards so we can eat different food. Uh, you know, people often, often ask me, so like, what do you eat in South Africa? And they're expecting like, I'm going to say lion or something. I don't know what. Springbuck, yeah. You know, like, okay, so we, y you can try. We've got. Really delicious milk tart and Afrikaans milk tap. Okay, so that'll be uh, a hot ticket. And um, there you go. Uh, you know, I could never figure out your Brits. I mean, like, are you English? Then is it the Rose and the British Lions? I mean, like Union Jack. I mean, you don't wear the Union Jack, but so. Well, well like, like, what's your symbol? I mean, you're British Lions, but. St. George's Cross and the Three Lions. I mean, they're a confused bunch. They can't really figure out exactly. You know, there's something that, there's something that we miss as Americans because we play, most of our sport is, uh, you know, the country's so big. You obviously can't play every state. You can't play every 
region. But what we miss out on, except when it comes to the Olympics, is like cheering for your country, which is sort of why the, you know, the soccer, the, the women's soccer World Cup got so popular. It's like, man, you can root for a country, and there's something fun about that. And so when it comes to rugby or you know, the two big sports where I grew up was rugby in the winter, cricket, cricket in the summer, and uh, you, you could get behind your country. And that was such uh, fun, you know, when you play uh, England and Australia and New Zealand and uh, Argentina and, you know, Brazil, depending what they are, or, or France. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's good. So we uh, want to look at how do we celebrate our heritage and how do we see God from a different facet uh, when we all come from different places and we have different tastes and different preferences. And we can see that as a negative or we can see that as something positive. Dan, where's Dan O'Neill? Dan, come on up here. Uh, you got something to say about this. And uh, I like what you got to say. Dan's known for his long speeches, so just get ready. One minute, maybe less. This is a tribute, a thank you to note for the foreign born among us. I have lived in my entire life as a resident of Massachusetts. Woo! People come to my country, to my city, to my church. Some learn my language. They're the best and brightest the world has to offer. And all I have to do to benefit is sit and listen. How's that for being blessed? All right. Okay, so two different attitudes, right? Dan has said, hey, I really like the fact that you guys speak weird and you come and you bring something rich. I've you know, just been here in Massachusetts all my life. And, uh, but you could easily have the opposite attitude, like, why are you different? Why aren't you like us? And you know, why can't you pronounce your R's like we do and all that sort of thing? Uh, uh, but thanks, Dan. I, I, you know, several months ago, Dan just said, you know, it's just like a real blessing. And it's like, yeah, he's getting it. He's getting the heart of, uh, of what it means to see God's uh, creation, the fullness of the universe, and try and get a little aspect of that. Uh, I've been away for a couple of weeks. Uh, we've been at the National Vineyard. A conference. I was particularly looking forward to this conference uh, and invited many of you to join us. Uh, many of you did. Uh, and the idea of this conference was, uh, could we uh, look at and bring uh, vineyards from all over the world? And uh, could we hear from speakers in the vineyard from all over the world? And uh, so just, you know, to try and uh, get up to speed, in, the, in America there's about 550 vineyards and in the rest of the world, there's like 2,500, 2,500. So uh, for me, it was really exciting. We, I got to hear a guy preach uh, from Zambia. And I noticed uh, when he was preaching, most of my American audience were like falling asleep and really battling. And I thought, man, this guy's got something to say. Uh, and uh, then we had a girl that grew up in the Amazon of Brazil, you know, really uh, poverty upbringing. And she had something really great to say, and uh, hearing, uh, catching up with a, a friend of mine, an acquaintance, I should say, more than a friend, Noel, who's from Nepal, and uh, seeing him lead worship on the final night with David Roos, and, uh, you know, just asking Noel, so how did the earthquake devastation affect your church? And he said, well, every single family in my church's house got flattened. So not the exception, every single family. Wow. So how did that work out? Well, 
The whole villages are wiped out. I had to get you, I had to get a helicopter to evacuate, to get to the airport, to fly to the conference. You know, just like major uh, enlightening on, on like what's happening. And, and so, you know, finding stories. Like, so where's God in that? And then Noel starts telling, wow, you know, there's nobody on the ground that can be trusted as a base. So that they've entrusted us as a church and all the foreign aid for a whole village is being given to us as a church to distribute because they found us trustworthy. And, you know, that's spreading the gospel as these guys are found trustworthy. So it's great seeing our, our heritage. And uh, it was particularly enlightening to hear from the British couple, the Mumfords, and seeing how they really overseeing the rest of the world, the vineyard and the rest of the world. It, it, you know, it, it, the vineyard is much bigger outside of America than what it is in. And uh, what's happening in the rest of the world is pretty exciting from Nepal down to Argentina and Chile and, and in South Africa. I heard, I met for the first time uh, the guy that oversees the vineyards in South Africa. And, uh, you know, that was, that was just a, a huge blessing. So today, you know, if you join us afterwards for, for lunch, for potluck, uh, let's just uh, celebrate that. You know, there's something in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, God talks about the church as being like a body with many parts. And the idea here is this. Each one of us is different, but each one of us is needed for the body. For the church to function uh, as it should, every single one of you has a role to play, and God says has given you a gift to give. And so in some way, shape, or form, and it's different for all of us, uh, you've got something to give. And uh, similarly, if you don't, we as a church are suffering. Uh, we impoverished if you don't step up and do what your gift and what your passion is all about. Uh, God has given you passions and giftings totally different to me. And similarly, uh, in the world, uh, God has revealed himself, who he is and how he operates differently in America or in the northeast of America, to England, to other parts of the world. And there's something that we can read, uh, understand, and learn about who God is and how we interact with Him and how we hear His voice and, and how He speaks to us when we see how He does it in other cultures uh, and He does it differently, and yet it's the same God. And you recognize the love of God and the way God speaks to us, even though it's totally different. There's something enormously enriching about that. And as we embrace that, as we lean into that, as we go on missions trips and you experience the disconnect and the discomfort of, uh, you know, how does it work in that culture, uh, there's something incredibly rich and rewarding uh, in that experience. So uh, I, you know, have had a few people uh, preach, obviously, when I was away. I, hopefully many of you really were surprised and enjoyed Robert Coutte. I mean, you know, you only, yeah. You know, you don't realize that uh, somebody that's somewhat quiet, and there's Robert, and he's hiding on the side, you know, and then he gets up to, to, to preach, and he has, he has a good word. You know, there's something rich about that. And then hearing from Morelli, I mean, all of you all of a sudden got into gardening and farming. I mean, I've never seen so much stuff here in our kitchen cafe. I'm, I mean, I'm eating basil or something this morning for, instead of cookies. It's incredible. You know, one sermon, and all of a sudden got leafy plants showing up. That's great. <laughs> Don't stop. Thanks. <laughs> it's a good thing. Uh, anyway, but in all of this, all I'm saying is God is a God of hope. 
God is, uh, doesn't choose favorites. Uh, he loves the whole world. And he wants to reveal himself to the whole world. And there's something rich and rewarding. It's something that gives us all hope. None of us on the outside. Uh, none of us are like excluded. It's different to the Old Testament where the Jews were the selected uh, you know, folks. Now God is saying, hey, everybody, I, I want to extend my love to everybody. Uh, and no one's left out. There's hope in that. So what I want you to get out of this message today is this. God has hope for all of us that we can experience a better future. Whatever situation you find yourself in now, uh, there's always something that we can look forward to in Christ. Uh, God uh, gives us hope because he is the author of meaningful change. God can do what we can't do. Uh, and uh, there's hope that it doesn't have to be the way it is, that with God, things can change. Uh, there's also a sense of hope that God can love each one of us personally, uh, as different as we are, as much as we've messed up or, or as much as we've lived righteously. Uh, God's love can reach each one of us again and again and again, and we can experience that. So let me just pray. Uh, Jesus, I just pray that you'll empower me as I preach today. Uh, Lord, I, I just pray that uh, no matter what uh, past mistakes uh, we've uh, committing or have committed, Lord, that you'd forgive us. Lord, I just pray for those that are struggling, uh, that you would come alongside them and impart hope and a sense of confidence. Uh, Lord, I, I just uh, pray that uh, for those that have messed up and want to start again, that uh, you'd show them how and give them the right friends and uh, empower them from in with your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we just lift up this message today and we just ask you, Lord, to just breathe on it, relate it to us in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, if you've got a Bible, uh, why don't you open it to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verse uh, 36. Uh, if you've got an iPhone or a cell phone you want to follow along, go do that too. Uh, and if you're sending out text messages, tell your friends and family you're having an awesome time in church, and they should be here, and then we'll get going. Uh, Luke chapter 7. This story, uh, let me tell you, I'm going to tell you the story, and then I'll read it. Uh, this is an interesting story because there's, it's a tension-filled story. Uh, there's tension between Jesus and the Pharisee, the Pharisee being the religious uh, establishment, being the folks that uh, see themselves as living righteously, uh, the folks that see themselves as the good guys. And there's tremendous tension between this uh, Pharisee and Jesus. Now, the Pharisees invited Jesus over for dinner, and no doubt uh, he is thinking like, okay, I've got a private conversation with Jesus, and I'm going to ask him a whole bunch of hard questions, uh, you know, particularly related to Jesus' preaching, what he said, uh, particularly related to Jesus claiming to be God. And uh, this is very offensive uh, to the Pharisees. Uh, and they, you know, here he's got a private meeting and he's going to sort of catch Jesus or set him straight or dialogue with Jesus. Uh, and yet uh, Jesus is able to, uh, on the one sense, be fully human, but in another sense, uh, fully divine. And uh, he's sensing uh, what's going on here. Not only is Jesus sensing what's going on there, here's a scary part. He's reading the guy's mind before he's even said it. 
He's reading his thoughts. Okay, how's that for a, 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 a scary idea? You're in the room with Jesus, the Pharisee, and he's thinking these things, and Jesus is like tracking with his thinking. And he's going to answer his thoughts before he even says them. <laughs> That's how the dialogue gets going. And then uh, into this sort of tension-filled uh, situation shows, uh, and it shows up a, a lady who's had an uh, a immoral lifestyle. Now, again, just to kind of picture how this could happen, you know, in our setting, that's not going to happen. If I'm having a private meeting with somebody, you know, it's in a house, guests aren't really invited. But in uh, Israel, hot climate, uh, a lot of the porticos didn't have doors on and things were open and it was kind of okay uh, to sort of follow at a distance and just go into somebody's uh, personal space. And so that's what this woman does. Uh, and she's be, had an immoral lifestyle, uh, and uh, she shows up. And the Pharisee knows only too well who this woman is and what kind of a lifestyle she's been living. And he's totally indignant. Uh, he's totally uh, upset. She shouldn't be there. And uh, he's mortified, mostly, that Jesus isn't kicking her out. Uh, and so. That's the setting for the story. So uh, let, me just, uh, let me just read it to you. And uh, So Luke uh, chapter 7, verse uh, 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt beside him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped, them, uh, she wiped the tears off uh, Jesus' feet with her hair. She kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of a woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Now, I mean, it's just like the two extremes, right? Someone very righteous and distant. And he has this woman just like over the top. I mean, it's like just like, you know, so they're both uh, sort of breaking cultural norms uh, to the extreme. Uh, the Pharisee is breaking the cultural norms because he's being actually real rude. We'll pick that up uh, in the next uh, chapter or so. And uh, obviously the immoral woman's breaking all social norms because she's just like over the top, uh, uh, kissing Jesus' feet, which are dirty, and you know, it's kind of like disgusting, and it's like not socially appropriate, and it's like just a lot of affection being displayed in a very uh, public way. But uh, here's the point. Uh, so the Pharisees thinking Jesus should know who this is, and here's a scary verse, verse 40. When Jesus answered his thoughts. Now, you've you, you got to know that Jesus can answer your thoughts. <laughs> I mean, that's the scary part, right? I mean, if Jesus could answer this guy, he answers your thoughts. He knows what's going on in our heads before we even say it or do it. I mean, that's the reality of uh, the power of God. And then Jesus responds. I mean, just, you know, Simon. He said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, 
Simon replied. Now, uh, here we have a parable. A parable is a story, a short story, uh, that's not a true story. It's just a story to try and make a point. So you've got a factual, true situation with Jesus in this room, and then Jesus, Jesus uses a parable uh, to communicate something uh, that's like short and sweet and sort of real pointed. And he says this. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to another. So like uh, 50 pieces of silver would be like two months' wages. So like two months' wages and like 20 months' wages. A fairly large amount of money. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Just a real short, little simple story, just answering Simon's thoughts. It's going through his head, you know, and like Simon, he's just like naked before Jesus. And he's like, ah, busted, you know. And so Simon answers, well, I suppose the one who had canceled the larger debt. And Jesus says, yeah, that's right. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. And Gary just like lays into the Pharisee, to Simon. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not, not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. But she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, and he's putting on his God hat. He's putting on what only God can do. Your sins are forgiven. And that just, you know, that just like totally freaked out the Pharisee. I mean, it's like, okay, this is like over the top. Not only is this woman like responding to him in a crazy way, Jesus responding like he's God. And, you know, Jesus is quite comfortable being God. You know, it's like a, a shock to many, even today. I mean, the men at the table uh, said among themselves, who is this man? He goes around forgiving sins. And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Wow. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, uh, the challenge I think we have is all of us have a little bit of Pharisee in us. Uh, we, we always like to identify with the underdog or the, the woman that's forgiven. And, you know, we all like to think, okay, we're in that camp, you know, and Jesus has forgiven us, and that's great. We all kind of shun away from being identified in any way as a Pharisee. But as we go about trying to pursue a, a faith in Christ, as we take church seriously, and as we take God seriously, uh, we have a we have the, the challenge of not becoming like a Pharisee. I mean, the Pharisees were serious about God. They were serious about trying to live the right way. They were serious about trying to follow the rules. I mean, they just kind of missed 
the big and obvious point. It's like all about Jesus. But they didn't see that. And, you know, sometimes uh, we can make the same mistake. We can become across as being super righteous or super holy. And, you know, we think our church is better than other churches or our knowledge about God is better than somebody else's knowledge about God. And, and there's all sorts of ways that as a church, uh, we can look down upon people or push people aside or make people feel like outcasts. And yet, as I said in the beginning, the whole point of church is that you and I play a role here where we love people, we accept people, and we try and do that in the love of, that Christ has given us. And, uh, you know, so we constantly coming against, uh, you know, our cultural differences. I mean, for many of you, you're just like so irritated. I'm standing here in, you know, cut-off shirt. And, and I mean, if you were from Australia, you would just have left already, just like, okay, I can't listen to a message from somebody that, you know, a team that always beats us. You know, the Brits... <laughs> You know, at least the Brits beat South Africa fairly regularly. So, I mean, you know, occasionally, I should say. I don't, go over, don't get over-enthusiastic. <laughs> but, I mean, how do we embrace each other? You know, uh, you only have to look at the Red Sox and the Yankees. I mean, honestly, you, you know, it's not like a love match here. You know, when you see uh, a Yankee person, a whole lot of derogatory comments often come out of someone's mouth. And yet, uh, you know, if we're playing on the same team, uh, then you're for each other. So uh, we do need to push against not being uh, like Pharisees and to see that we aren't perfect. None of us are perfect. And in fact, church isn't perfect. Uh, you know, uh, so how do we uh, get a lot out of church? How do we experience Christ's love when we're very different people? Well, that's part of the mystery of God. The very fact that you people are sitting here and many of you enjoying yourselves here other than our common interest in Jesus, this wouldn't be happening. And, and it's really awesome. And then, you know, when I go to like these conferences and I'm sitting next to somebody from, you know, who knows where, and I'm saying, man, I've got like nothing in common with this guy or this person. And then, you know, you share Christ together. You watch them worshiping. It's like, wow, that's great. Now, I've got to tell you, it, the worship is one of those things that's often personal. And at this conference, what they did is they put the words up in English and in whatever other language. And I, the first night was Japanese. I've got to tell you, it's really hard. I'm like leaning on just like all symbols. Like you can't even make it up, right? And to try and worship when you know the song, but all you're seeing is symbols, it's like hard. And like everything in me is saying, just put up English. I mean, I just like get rid of those Japanese symbols. I can't make head or tail of them. And then English comes out and you go, oh, I can worship now. Uh, so I understand that there are times where it's really difficult. You have to push in, you have to lean in, and church is like that. Not everything when you come here is just the way you like it. It's like, okay, I've got to deal with a little bit of discomfort to get to the heart, to get what's really great. But, you know, the other person in the story, the Pharisee being the one, the other person being the immoral woman, uh, there's something uh, which is wonderful about her response, uh, and that's this. She's responding to uh, something that she experienced. I mean, somehow or other, uh, we don't, we're not told how, but somehow or other she must have heard Jesus preaching, but she embraced who Jesus is. And uh, in faith, 
she just like wanted to be by him. She wanted to hear from him. She didn't, she wasn't asking Jesus for anything. She was like responding in love. But she was so overwhelmed and overcome by what Jesus had somehow done to her or for her, uh, which we don't, we're not told. We're just told, okay, she's an immoral lifestyle in the past. And now all of a sudden she's like going over the top with her appreciation, her love and affection for Jesus. But what's so uh, heartening about that is it's a, an expression because obviously something has changed in her life. Something that she couldn't change, Christ has changed. Uh, in some sense, she had no hope. And not because of her own smarts or her own ability to climb the ladder or her own ability to clean up her act, but somehow or other, from the inside, uh, connecting with Christ, she's like a new person. And, you know, the way the story ends is, is kind of interesting, too. It's not like Jesus says, hey, you've done great. You know, why don't you become one of my disciples or disciplesses? I, you know, I don't know. Uh, he just says, hey, see you later. Go in peace. I mean, it's not like he says, okay, now don't do this and don't do that and, and uh, change those friends and move to another neighborhood and gives her 20 pieces of advice. He essentially just says, see you later. The Holy Spirit's going to be with you. Between you and the Holy Spirit, you'll work it out. You'll understand which friends to hang out with. You'll understand what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. And it's going to be a little rough, but you're going to be A-OK. I mean, that's the promise of God with, with each of us, that we don't have to have it all figured out. God's Spirit or presence will be, uh, will be with us. Now, for most of us, you know, we wouldn't totally identify with a Pharisee, and we wouldn't totally identify with being totally immoral and, you know, coming to Jesus and just wanting to spend all your money and all your effort uh, kissing his feet. We're sort of somewhere in the middle where, okay, we've got a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and we're not really terrible people, and we really do like God, and, uh, you know, we're trying to figure out church and life and and and, you know, I tell you, the, the glue that binds us together, the, the, the part that brings out the best in us, is not us. It's not our goodness. It's, not, it's Jesus radiating through us. It, it's some way where you speak to somebody and you make a conversation and say, man, there's something winsome about that person. You realize it's Christ in them. And that's the glue that holds us together. And we want more of it. And uh, that's what's so... Uh, hopeful about hanging out at church and hanging out with Jesus uh, is that God is giving us doses of hope. No matter what situation you find yourself in today, God is saying, you're not stuck. This is not terminal. Things can change. I can change you and I can change your circumstances. You know, for us, we just get overwhelmed real quick. I mean, that's human nature. It, God is always a God of hope. There's always a God of, okay, we can do this again. We can try it differently. And uh, you welcome. Your friends are welcome. Bring them to church. They're always welcome. Uh, you don't know what they're going to like or dislike about church. Uh, I just say just, you welcome. Your friends are welcome. Uh, Christ is a welcoming uh, God. He, he takes you just as you are. Uh, you don't have to clean up your act first. If you've got a bulletin insert, let me just summarize uh, what I'm saying here uh, quickly. There's hope. Uh, Jesus is perfect. 
The church isn't. I mean, I know you guys realize I'm not perfect, thankfully. But thank, thank, thankfully, you realize that it's not about me, it's about Jesus. And uh, many of you have came to the conclusion, some very rapidly, some it took a long time, that this church is not perfect. I mean, I don't know how you figured that out, but you did. But the hope is that Jesus is perfect. And even as imperfect people, we can still experience the love of God and the blessings of God. Uh, there's a sense that hope uh, for all of us that our past does not need to define our future. Uh, the mistakes you've made in the past, the mistakes you made today, the mistakes you made yesterday doesn't have to define your future. Uh, we can uh, say to God, I've messed up, or I have hope for a preferred, better future in you. Lead the way. Help me to uh, be humble enough to follow you and to do what it is that you're leading. But we don't have to be stuck. We don't have to be trapped uh, in our past. Uh, we don't even have to uh, invent our future or through our own strength uh, make out our future. Uh, there's also hope because Jesus forgives us. And uh, he gives us peace. No one else can give us the sort of peace that Jesus gives us. Nobody else can say you're forgiven. I mean, it's wonderful when you have a disagreement with somebody and there's a sense of reconciliation and there's a sense of peace. Uh, but it may or may not happen in the natural. But with Jesus, at least we can have peace and that peace and that strength uh, from him. And at least he gives us the empowerment to try and have peace and harmony between each other. You know, when we were at the conference, one of the speakers that I, I particularly enjoyed was an African-American um, preacher who uh, had come on staff at the Vineyard Church in Columbus. And uh, this guy preaches in the classic uh, black um, preaching style. Now, that would be like, um, uh, well, I don't know. I don't know how many of you listen to a whole bunch of different uh, preachers. But it's like listening to a whole bunch of white preachers, and then you hear T.D. Jakes. And you say, wow, this is like, this guy's kind of expressive, you know? Now, that's how it was for me. It was like, okay, I'm awake. I'm listening to him. But the point that was so powerful to me was this. He said, you know, I also had to pay a price for signing on here at the church. He said, because my black church brethren friends pulled me aside, and they said, listen, why would you ever sign up to go and work at a white man's church? You know, we need you. You are highly educated. Uh, you're a great preacher. You know the gospel. And you need to get us, the, the black community and the black church, out of poverty and out of this, this, how we stuck. And uh, the guy's name is Charles, Charles Montgomery. And Charles, uh, Dr. Charles Montgomery, he realized, he said, I've got to put, Jesus ahead of culture. And so for many of us, you know, we need to make that same decision and say, I've got to put Jesus ahead of like the culture that I prefer. And for, for many of you, you come to church like this, it's a compromise. It's like it's not exactly perfect. And you say, you know, I'm willing to compromise a little bit because I want to put Jesus first. And I can deal with the fact that some weirdo is 
speaking in a weird language with short sleeve shirts and a springbok, you know, on his... Next week I'll dress up and you'll all be happy. But, you know, today... Go Jesus. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, the next thing that happened was uh, we had a, it's like the Spirit of God fell on us. And there was a sense of, you know, we need to repent. We need to repent as a church and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I was standing beside the auditorium and Morena, uh, the, our vineyard pastor down from the Dominican Republic, came and sought me out. And she said, Rob, I, I just want to repent. I want to talk to you. And I, I thought, well, this is really interesting. Let me tell you something. In, in five minutes of discussion with Morena, we achieved more than we've achieved as ch two churches in five years. Honestly. And, and what was so exciting for me, what was so exciting for me, now you're going to have to really listen carefully to what I'm saying because it's going to be very easy to be misunderstood. I mean, like, don't get mad at me now. Listen carefully. Morena said this to me. She said, Rob, you guys come down on mission trips on a regular basis. I said, yes, we do. I think we do like three mission trips a year down there. She says, I just want to like be polite. She says, you guys are really worried about the feeding program and feeding us. And this is her words. She says, this food goes into the system and it's out within 24 hours. I'm listening. She says, the food that we want down there is spiritual food. She says, what I want you to do, I said, uh, keep feeding the poor. That's, that's great. But that's not the focus. That's secondary. What I want you to do is I want you to go house to house, preaching the gospel. And I said, Morena, how does that work? She said, I want you to prepare a 15-minute sermon. I said, great. And then what do we do? She said, well, you know, the people will welcome you. I said, so they'll let us in their house. She said, of course, it's our culture. We open the door, we go and we preach the gospel, and then we go to the next house. Totally foreign to us. So, you know, what we think, we don't want to offend them. What she's saying is like, you're starving us. House to house, preach the gospel. And then, of course, I asked the real hard question in Spanish. <laughs> she said, obviously. I said, Morena, the number of missionaries has just shrunk down to very few. <laughs> but, I mean, there's the understanding, right? She's like, oh, you don't, right, you don't have too many people that can speak Spanish, and I'm not providing interpreters. You need to do that. You, you want to be missionaries, come down. But we think, okay, we just, like, go down as Americans, build things, feed things, do things. And they're like, great, well, that's, that's okay, but we need a lifelong lifeline. Jesus will never leave us. The food will. I mean, it's just really interesting, isn't it? I mean, it's really interesting. And so, you know, I just felt really connected uh, to Moran. I'm like, okay, how do we do that better? I mean, it's not like we haven't. It's not like we don't try. But, like, that's the heart. That's the core. And keep going on medical trips. Keep feeding the poor. You know, keep supporting orphans. But I'm telling you, preaching the gospel and doing the gospel is the hard part. It's the hard part. I mean, all of us are racking our brains. I'm thinking, how do I get my Spanish to that level? I'm like, oh, God, you'll just have to impart it. I've tried. You know, <laughs> the studying is not going too well for me. I don't know how we do it, but we will. We will do it. God will give us a way uh, of, uh, of preaching the gospel and, and, and doing it. Uh, let me just say this uh, uh, last point uh, before finishing. 
it really is important that we get the gist of the story uh, about faith being like alone. It, it, that, like this girl in the story, this immoral woman, it really wasn't anything that she did. She didn't clean up her act before she came to Jesus. Uh, Jesus cleaned up her act before she came to Jesus. Uh, I mean, there's something where uh, what Jesus is commending you and me, and when we go on mission trip, is faith. How do we build faith? How do we get faith? How do we do faith? And against that is this whole idea of I've got to clean up my act. I've got to work more. I've got to read my Bible more. I've got to pray more. I've got to do this. I've got to dress better. I've got to not drink this. Do drink that. And, and you know, and it's like, oh, it can be exhausting. But if we can just say it's, it's faith. It's somehow or other when we grasp, it's faith. It's by believing in Jesus. There's two Bible verses I want to close with that I think are, are helpful on this uh, for us. Uh, Romans 4.18 is a reminder of sort of our hero of faith, Abraham, Father Abraham. He says this in Romans, the New Testament, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Even when there's no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. I mean, that's a great description of faith. We don't feel it. We don't have it. We don't. But Abraham believed. He just like, I believe in God. God is good. God is faithful. God will provide. God will do it somehow. I don't know how. I've lost all hope. And that happened in Abraham's life again and again and again. It wasn't like a one-time thing. And then the second verse that I want to read is also out of Romans. Romans 5.5. 5. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us. Because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So, again, you know, the, the question is, hey, do you know Jesus? If you don't know Jesus, if you haven't experienced Jesus' love, I just encourage you today, you know, in the quietness of your seat, say, Jesus, I don't know you, I desire to know you. Jesus, I desire to experience the fullness of your love. I don't want to just hear words about you. I want to know you. They, you know, you'll know that Jesus responded to you when you start responding like the immoral woman, when something within you is like changing you. And a great tool for that, of course, is the Bible. The problem with trying to read the Bible is you don't know where to start. You don't know how to go about it. And so this particular Bible is the one which I recommend. It's how to find God. It's just a New Testament. It's not a new Bible or a different Bible. It's just that in the front, there's like two or three pages, a few pages that give you some help on how to go about that. If you would like one of these Bibles, not for your friends and not for your already loaded bookshelf where you've got the King James and you into the NIV and you know, now you just need another version. But I mean, like, you don't have one. You're like, you want to read this thing. You're welcome to have it. It's free. In fact, even if you want one just to put in your bookshelf, I guess I'll give it to you free. God is generous. Even if I'm not, God is generous. <laughs> but uh, the other thing, that, like the Pharisee, we all need to work against is that it's not, we don't have a works mindset. We don't want to be exhausted trying to uh, please me or trying to please the staff or trying to please Jesus in you know, never-ending to-do lists. 
There's a sense where it's good enough to be on our knees, to be praying, and just like, thank you, Jesus. We can come into worship like we did this morning and just say, thank you, God. I just want to focus on you. It's not about works. It's about faith in you and just receiving from you. So uh, I want to uh, finish there. Why don't we have the worship team come on up? And um, Kevin, why don't you come up and uh, share a closing uh, thought for ministry? And if what Kevin's saying relates to you, uh, we have a prayer team afterwards which would like to pray for you. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, so I'm Kevin. I just want to share what uh, uh, some things that came out of the prayer time this morning. And by the way, all of you are invited to come to our prayer time. It's 9 o'clock every Sunday. Uh, uh, in addition to praying for God's best for every one of you, uh, we just spend a, time, a little bit of time listening for, for God to speak to us. Uh, so maybe some of you today uh, are, are kind of longing for uh, Jesus to read your thoughts. Uh, I just want to share an encouraging, um, hopeful scripture with you. It's Psalm 27, 8. It says, My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. So I, I just believe there's an invitation this morning uh, to come and talk with Jesus, that, that he, wants a, he wants to talk to you and tell you your thoughts. Uh, and then secondly, maybe some of you, there, there was a sense that uh, you might need uh, rest and, and to be nourished uh, in God's love. Uh, so for, for those of you who feel tired, exhausted, overwhelmed, uh, I just believe there's an invitation to uh, enter his rest this morning. Uh, so if that means anything to you, I just encourage you to come get prayer. If you want prayer for anything else, we'd love to spend a few minutes praying with you. Why don't you stand? Let's do a closing song. If you want to come up for prayer now, come on up. Or if you want to come up at the end of the song, come on up. Our prayer team will be up here ready to pray for you.